Transformationist is dedicated to real stories of transformation and the insights and actions that make it possible. Our guests share from their own stories the strategies and experiences that can help you shape transformation in your own life. Whether you are changing your mind, responding to change, or designing a life different from what you have right now, my hope is that these stories will inspire you and help you on the way. Hi, I'm Tash McGill, and welcome to The Transformationist. Welcome to The Transformationist. Uh, Often the need for transformation and change is precipitated by an external change in our circumstances. And while sometimes we might be lucky enough to catch a glimpse of something coming towards us and have a chance to prepare, more often than not, we find ourselves facing chaos and disruption when something unexpected happens. And our response to that um, often begins with the statement, and then this happened to me. Today's guest, Nick Roach, is a proud husband and father of four. And right now, that's actually what occupies most of his days. Uh, Days that he says are filled with joy, confusion, dad tears, fatigue, overwhelming gratefulness and and excitement. Um, But this is a really significant change from his former life where he played professional football uh, until, in his words, uh, they kicked me out for getting hurt. And when that happened, Nick found himself for the first time responsible for creating his own future and designing, redesigning what life was going to look like. So it's such a pleasure to have you uh, join the podcast today. Nick, thank you so much. Gosh, thank you. Super excited. (laughs) So firstly, I come from New Zealand where we don't have uh, American football. So like, tell me what it's like uh, to be a professional football player. What is that culture like? What is that, what is that world like? Wh- like? What does that look like as a job? Well, you know, it is America's favorite sport, according to uh, viewership, I suppose. Okay. And, um, you know, so you do get, I guess, this minimal, depending on your level of status, you get this minimal to maximum type of celebrity in society. Fortunately, I was a pretty middle to low class citizen in the NFL. So (laughs) I could walk around any street anywhere and not get recognized, which was good. (laughs) All right. So you didn't have to deal with like the the Tom Brady effect or the the Tim Tebow or the, you see, you can tell I only know a few NFL players. It's good. It's good. (laughs) Um, Okay. So you were a linebacker. Yes, indeed. Okay. So what does a linebacker do? Well, a linebacker job is, well, we used to sum it up this way. Used to, we used to say, see ball, get ball. And all that means is, you know, we're on defense, so whichever person on offense has the ball, it's your job to go get them and take them to the ground. Okay. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing defense is the side that you actually want to play, so you'd prefer to be tackling <laughs> rather than being tackled? Hey, you know, some people like to get hit, I guess, uh, but... <laughs> I knew from a young age that I wanted to be on that side of it, that uh, <laughs> I want to be in control of my collisions. And so I chose defense. Oh, wow. Um, so how did you, um, how did you, you know, decide that that was where you wanted to, to hear that football was going to be a career for you? Sure. Uh, I didn't know about football being a thing for me until, honestly, my senior year of college. So right when it was a possibility, it was kind of around the time I realized I should you know, look for that, being an opportunity. Um, 
I was not one of the kids that grew up looking at the at the TV and you know daydreaming about being in those NFL stadiums one day. Um, you know, my mom was really just you know like, hey, look, you're not going to sit around here. What she would say is, you're not going to wear out my couch. <laughs> you can either get a job or you can play a sport on a sports team. And so, you know, out of a aversion to employment, I just decided to be on a sports team. <laughs> which which seems like a good choice, you know, to me. I'm like, I, I would go that way too. Right, exactly. so, so, when it, so when it becomes your job, um, what, is, what does it look like as a job? What are the things that you have to pay attention to? Sure. Yeah, so as a job, I think, first of all, there's a pretty, I think, widespread misconception that professional athletes kind of just sit around in their pools and have parties all day and then, you know, drive around in Lamborghinis and then show up to the game and play the game and then go back to it's like glamorous life but (laughs) honestly most guys are actually living in apartments and you know it's just a very unexpected lifestyle because transition happens so abruptly where guys are getting traded and cut and released and signed back so our day-to-day job is really just like probably yours or anyone else's uh, where we show up to work usually between six and seven in the morning and then spend the whole day with you know physical either practice or lifting weights or conditioning workouts. And then we're watching film and kind of assessing, you know, what we, our schemes and plans with our opponents, what they do. And so we spend a lot of time in the meeting room watching film and just breaking down techniques. And then we usually leave and go home about, you know, between four and five in the afternoon and then do that pretty much about six days a week. Uh, Game day is the longest day, but of course the most fun, you know, because we get to, do what we signed up for and then yeah you just kind of go about it like that and the season is football season is pretty much from july till january uh Mm -hmm. you don't make the playoffs could be longer if you do into late january february and then it starts back up again in april and so april to june is kind of of our off season um so it's a pretty i mean it's a full-time job so it's yeah i mean it's not like there's not a lot of vacation time in that no, From I mean, the way some, you just described it. Yeah, there's some very specific, you know, we have a certain amount of weeks. Uh, maybe we have more weeks than the average, you know, two weeks paid vacation type of job. But, you know, there are definitely strict periods of time when we can even be away. There's no such thing as like sick days or, you know, it's just kind of like if you want to be sick, then you can either play sick or get off the team and be sick. You know, you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <okay. laughs> yeah. And was like, um, one of the things that I'm so inter- that I'm fascinated by is like when you are in a professional sports team, you have like your your body is something that you like you you, you, you and your body are one and the same. You know, like there's I, I imagine that you have to be you know hugely conscious of it. Like, were there a lot of like restrictions? You know, did you have to be you know conscious of what you what you ate and what you drank and yeah. you know how you kind of treated it? Sure. Yeah. It's, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of considerations you have to make. For example, one big thing was how much you weigh. And so going into the season, we had to literally sign a contract that would say, you know, you won't go over X amount of pounds. And if you do, you're subject to a fine. And so, you know, just, they would just deduct out of your paycheck. You know, if you're overweight, I think when I was playing, it was about four or $500 per pound uh, Whoa. You know, for every pound that you were over your contracted weight. And so that was one thing 
fortunately, I was a guy that was on the, the smaller side. So typically my weight was something I would never really get to anyway. And okay. unless I was being wildly irresponsible at Chipotle or something. But uh, <laughs> yeah, just, uh, that was one of the things. Wow, that's okay. That's amazing. So, um, so you're playing. Um, you're playing out of college. You get picked up um, uh, to play professionally. Um, you end up at the at the Raiders, um, and then you end up with an injury. Like, just mm-hmm. give me the heads up into you know w- what happened to to change the trajectory of where your life was headed at that point. Sure. So. I played 2013 uh, with the Raiders. That was my first year, and uh, it, was a, it was a good year, but my best year by far statistically and playing time and, you know, just in terms of contribution. Uh, I, I had a, That was the biggest role that I had ever had in, in football, uh, in my football career. So it was fun. It was a lot of fun, but going into 2014, I was headed into more of the same, and, you know, the third preseason game came around. We were right on – the brink. That was actually the last game that I would have played in before the regular season would have started. And um, just so happened, you know, pretty routine collision with the one at the offensive lineman. And we hit head to head. I got a concussion. Wasn't able to go back in that game. And then through, you know, a series of doctor's appointments and rehab and, you know, opinions and neurologists and traveling to find out stuff. It just, it just wasn't going to work out, at least for that year, for me to come back to play. And that resulted in, so I got hurt in August. By that following March, I still wasn't healthy enough to be a part of the team. And so they terminated my contract. And then, you know, I was uh, I was cast off into the, the realm of pedestrians uh, that don't play football. So, like in in the culture that I grew up in, we have this idea of a fallback career. So, uh, by the time you get to your senior year in college, you know w- what was it that you'd studied? You know, did you kind of have this idea of if you play, you play NFL for a couple of years, and then you'll you know move on to something else if it if it didn't work out? Yeah. So I was a pretty much a studio art major um, in college, and so I studied you know drawing, painting, photography sculpture and you know basically introduction to fine arts and it was a major that they were essentially trying to groom us to have our own you know art studio or practice and so oh my goodness uh, that was my major and then I was pairing that with a business minor uh, okay thinking that you know everybody's heard of starving artists so I was interested in art but I didn't want to be broke so (laughs) I figured that if I could do what I love, but do it in a corporate setting, maybe with like, you know, graphic design or marketing or even advertising that, you know, I could kind of fulfill both, both worlds or necessities for me. So that was kind of my fallback. If, you know, Hey, if it doesn't work out, I'll go back to Chicago and, you know, some Northwestern alum that feels sorry for me will hire me in their <laughs> marketing department. You know? <laughs> it's kind of pragmatic. I, I, I like it, but of course, it did work out, didn't it? I mean, you it you played for it for a number of years. How many in total? It was eight years when it was all said and done, and you know, certainly it was beyond all expectation. And you know, even if I had wanted to play from a young childhood, I mean, that would have been still would have exceeded probably my expectations and my dreams. So it was really cool. That's yeah, that's remarkable. And so you you ended up in like two thousand. It was maybe like two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen. You were signed to the Oakland Raiders. Yes, twenty thirteen. Uh, signed mm-hmm. up with Oakland. Yep. 
Okay. And then, and then, you know, what was happening at that point? Cause obviously, you know, it's a physical, it's a physical game. It's a physical sport. Uh, like you said, you know, you're, you're playing in the, you're playing in the, in the good game, but it's your body on the line. Sure. Um, and what was the, what was the trajectory to then, you know, being told, Hey, you can't play anymore. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was kind of funny, you know, the first year that I got there, uh, typically what you see from players is that they they get into the to the league and they play a lot and they bang their bodies up and you know as their careers get longer their their play you know tapers down their playing time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Whereas mine was almost opposite. You know, I came in, I didn't play very much, and kind of every year I played a little more, got a little more experience. And so by the time I got to Oakland, it was my seventh year, and I was you know slated to play more than I had ever played. At, at the end of my career, you know, the average career is only three years. And so, you know, pretty much once you get to year seven, six, seven, eight, you know that the end is right around the corner. Uh, you, know, you can only beat the odds for so long. So yeah, anyway, I was, you know, slated to play all these snaps and be the starter on defense and which happened for 2013. Um, and it was going to be that way because I had signed a four year contract. And so I was supposed to be playing, you know, in that role, that maximum kind of duty for for a long time wow so 2013 you know i play all these snaps had a good good year statistically and then going into 2014 uh, we were on the brink of starting the regular season we were uh, playing the third preseason game i got a concussion just a pretty routine hit actually with the offensive linemen we ran into each other i ended up coming out of that game uh, that was in august of 2014 and just you know through a series of attempts at at rehab and working out and seeing doctors and neurologists, just I never played again after that day. Uh, and, you know, football, I joked about they kicked me out when I got hurt. But, you know, truthfully, that's kind of what happens is if you're if you're not usable uh, to a certain extent, then they don't they cannot just keep you around. And so uh, I got hurt in August of 14. And by the March, the following March, I was released um, and just kind of sent into, you know, post-football abyss in many ways, um, which for me, I was okay with uh, because, like I said, my hopes and dreams hadn't fully been built on making it to that level. Mm. But still, I think disorienting no less uh, just because there was a, a way of life that I was used to and a routine that I had grown used to that didn't involve specifically toward this conversation making my own plans. Yeah, yeah, of course. One of the things that I'm really curious about is when when your body is the business, right? Like at that point as when you're playing in a physical game, your body is your business. And and similarly, you know, for for franchise owners, I'm sure, you know, when when a player does get hurt and therefore can no longer, you know, bring bring their part of the business you know, to the game, you, you know, you do, you start to think, okay, all right, I understand that. I understand the math of that. But one of the things that I'm really interested in is, you know, did your relationship with your, um, having relied on your body to be such a crucial part of your uh, career up until that point, did your relationship with your body change after the injury? Uh, that's a good question. I would say that my, my, the way that I treated my body changed, you know, because I realized the whole time that I was playing football, that these things were not beneficial, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, the things that we're putting ourselves through are in many ways, they're exhilarating and they're thrilling uh, and challenging, but, you know, in much the same way as any type of, you know, Ironman or marathon, those things can take you to certain highs, but 
you know it comes at a cost. And so same way with football, I realized that, you know, that was the life stage for expenditure. And now I think I'm for sure more in a stage of just trying to make sure that things work properly, that I feel good in normal everyday positions like sitting, standing, walking, um, you know, playing with my kids on the floor. And so definitely there is a different uh, type of goal that I have for myself physically. Do you feel like uh, having played sports professionally, do you feel like you're uh, you're more aware of your body than perhaps somebody? So I, ha- I had this conversation with a friend the other day who um, they're in their mid-30s and they just said, you know, I just I just realized the other day I'm getting old um, when when it, it hurt to it hurt to it hurt to get up after I'd been sitting um, for a few hours. And, and you know, and I just kind of wonder if um, by nature of being of having to be so in tune with your body, if actually that gives you a different kind of, you know, just awareness of, you know, yeah. just things like sitting and standing. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of it just comes from trying to figure out, you know, why does this, you know, very routine activity hurt so bad? You know, <laughs> okay, why can't, how come my son weighs 20 pounds, but I will lift him over my head, my shoulders, you know, in such pain? Or, you know, when I turn my head this way, why does my neck, you know, send these feelings down to my fingertips. And, you know, so a lot of it just comes from trying to discover what's going on and if it can be corrected. And so, uh, you know, you definitely come to know it's kind of a love-hate relationship because you want your body to do it, do things and feel things that sometimes you have to accept it cannot do or won't do. Uh, but, you know, just kind of another challenge of growing past the, the last thing that it was asked to do, I guess. <laughs> Fair enough. So um, take us to the end. You get released from the contract. Um, what was going through your mind in the months? I mean, it must have been frustrating while you were seeing doctors and while you're seeing doctors and, you know, you're trying to figure out if you're going to get back to the game. Yeah. Um, and then they release you from the contract. Was it, were you able to immediately turn your eyes to, okay, now I need to plan for the future? Or, you know, was there a, was there a break? Because I think we all kind of handle those yeah. We all kind of handle those changes differently. So what was that experience like for you? I think, I mean, certainly it was very mixed. I would say it was, you know, almost a sense of relief because you know, from my mind, I was, I was letting my team down for the last few months, you know, so I was supposed to play that whole season in a very critical role as a team member, but because of my injury, I couldn't do it. So I felt this constant pressure of you know, whatever is going on with me, I need to figure it out so I can get back to my teammates and help them you know, help us mm. get back to where we want to be. But also internally, I knew that the things that I was experiencing, if I were to go back to football, probably wouldn't be best for my long-term future. And so, yeah, I felt like I was being pulled in both directions. Uh, even when I got released, like, ah, man, it feels, it feels good that for now I can think about trying to heal before I go back to that life possibly. But also mm-hmm. it just stinks that that was the second year you know, of a four-year contract that I signed. So I wasn't really fulfilling the things that I said that I was going to. And so, you know, there was definitely that push and pull and it, you know, just ended up taking a really long time for the symptoms to subside to a spot where I could even consider possibly going back. And by that time it had been a few years. And so, um, I think things that they really worked out, I think as best they could have, that was right around the time we started our family. Um, and you know, it's got us to where we are now having moved from that place altogether um, so yeah, it was just time. Which is, I mean, which is great to be able to take it and to be, I'm so, um, I'm so impressed by your kind of pragmatism around it. Um, 
the way that you're able to kind of talk about uh, the and and even the way that you talk about it is so other centered when you talk about you know that sense of commitment to your teammates and and letting them down and and then that sense of not fulfilling you know what the contract was I think that's quite a remarkable it's quite a remarkable mindset did it did it feel that way at the time is that just how you've always been or did you have to um, did you have to do some work to to have such a good attitude about it you know I will I will say I think that a lot of that comes from the type of cultures that I was a part of as a, as a teammate. You know, so the type of a leader that I ended up becoming from the later stages of my career was really based on the leaders that I saw when I was younger. And so I got a chance to play with, you know, uh, guys that are going to be historic football players. Even some, one of my friends already has just been inducted to the Hall of Fame in this last class that came through this summer. And so oh, wow. those are the guys that I spent most of my career with. And so I think that I saw what it was supposed to be like in many ways. Uh, you know, so for me, by the time that I became older and, uh, you know, used my body up, <laughs> I kind of, <laughs> I already knew, I guess, what, what it looked like. I knew what the trajectory was of, you know, how do you, um, you know, how do you exit uh, properly and how do you exit health, healthily? Right. So. What were some of those? What were some of those key elements? You know that that you wanted to say. Okay, that's that's what it's going to look like for me to move on or to transition well. Were there specific things that you that you that you had as personal markers? Uh, that's a good question. I think at the time that was when our daughter, our firstborn, was only uh, coming up on a year old, and mm-hmm. we we're pregnant with our second. And so we have four kids. I think I told you that already. But, you know, so our, our family was very new and we had had these pregnancies like really back to back. So we we're still in that mode of, you know, newborn slash pregnant, you know. It, yeah. It was, so chaos, madness is what you were in the middle of. Beautiful madness. And um, so, you know, I was certainly preoccupied with, you know, never having had a pregnant wife before, never have, never having had a wife who was a mom and then being a dad and then you know, trying to get to know these little kids, you know, it just astounded me that, you know, your family is built from people that you don't know at first, you know, like you have to just, you're like getting to know these people as they're yours already. It's just like, a, wow. it was such a weird, you know, moment for me realizing like what families, how families are actually built and, you know, what relationship comes from. And it's, it's just, it still blows my mind today. I mean, our kids, our oldest is still only four, you know, so. Uh, yeah, so you've got four under four. Yeah, when we when our fourth was born, we still had a three, two, and you know, couple month old. So. That's that's just amazing. That is just amazing. The um, I I love how you describe that. I've never heard anybody put it that way about yeah. When your family is built, it's built up of people that you don't know yet. Um, that's a that's such a remarkable. It's a really remarkable perspective to have on it, um, and so you are in this really, I guess, in in some respects, the traditional. So the the archetype of that traditional male ego of you know you, you strive to build a successful career, yep. and then and it's kind of an old it's an old school old world kind of an archetype. But you strive to build a successful career, and then once you've got a certain amount of um, of credibility and dollars in the bank, you can start to build a family. But typically, you would still be building a family. You'd be building a family at the same time that you're building a career, yeah. and you kind of end up in this in this kind of topsy turvy 
slightly world where your career is kind of on hold, big question mark. And then all of a sudden there's these, you know, four beautiful children arriving into the world. Um, And, and, you know, maybe didn't feel like it at the time, but that's, that's kind of, and you, you kind of had a lot of time to be able to be involved in that process. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm so thankful to us for, you know, never would I be thankful to you know, have like this injury and go out, you know, so unexpectedly and leave anybody hanging out to dry. But, you know, for all the negatives that came with my injury situation, I, I mean, I believe that there are just positives that would be hard to ever trade anything with, you know, like being there for the birth of every child, you know, being able to be by my wife's side, you know, every day of every one of the pregnancies and being able to get up in the middle of the night because I didn't have work the next day, you know, being able to give her opportunities to rest and, you know, rock, you know, these newborn kids at three or four o'clock in the morning, you know, you hear parents, I guess what we call seasoned parents, uh, you know, they joke, <laughs> joke about families that are having their firstborn or, you know, going to have successive children. I go, you better get your sleep now. And, you know, I came to, in a way, resent those comments because to me, it made it seem like, so you're saying that your your rest, your sleep at night was more important than, you know, having those like precious moments to connect with your child just because they're up in the middle of the night. You know, it was, it was inconvenient, no doubt. But at mm-hmm. the same time, would you rather be sleeping in or, you know, just like appreciating the, the miracle of this life that you've been given to, you know? Yeah, that's, I mean, it, it is, it's a remarkable opportunity. Yeah. So when you got released from the contract, uh, you know, do you, what happens for you then when you consider, okay, you know, at that stage you're, you're, I mean, you still are, you know, a young man. And at that point you were even younger and you've got a whole kind of lifetime ahead of you. Mm -hmm. What does your mind turn to when you think about vocation? Did you, did you start to go back to, okay, am I going to start that fine art studio or like what, what happens then? I mean, on one hand, the horizon is wide open to you. Um, on the other hand, you do have a wife, you do have a family right. that's growing. Um, how do you how do you go about making plans about what you want to do? The, uh, you know, if I had the answer to that question, Josh, I probably would have a book written already. But <laughs> I think I, I honestly think for me, it was I was comfortable in that position only because of the the types of cycles that my life had spun round in already. And what I mean by that is, you know, every major transition in my life has more or less been defined by, you know, this like really structured clarity, right. a, a really abrupt end to whatever that stage was. And mm-hmm. then going forward, you know, one or two, sometimes three, like really clear, uh, actionable endeavors in front. And so... What's on the other side of those things, not really sure, but I just knew that, you know, whenever I get into this wide open space, like you said, this big fat question mark, I don't know what's all the way out there, but I do know that at least right in front of me, there are two or three things that I can act on that would give me some, some fuel you know, mm. to, to go forward. And so, you know, if we're thinking about the, the time when I got cut, only thing I knew that was, okay, our lease is going to be up in like three months do we want to leave California or do we want to move back to Chicago? And so, you know, just kind of one simple thing to answer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my wife wanted to have 
our baby back in Chicago. So, hey, let's move back. And then do I need to start working right away or do we have enough saved up? I can take some time off. Okay, we have enough saved up for now. Then I'm just going to take some time off, go back to Chicago and see what happens. And that was literally just as simple as it was. We didn't know much else except for, hey, let's go back and have the baby and we'll take it from there. Mm -hmm. Which I think is, I mean, it's such a, uh, it's such a practical way of approaching it, but it also leaves you lots of space. I think it's so easy for us to get consumed with trying to figure out what the end game is going to be, you know, like what's, what's at the finish line that, that it can paralyze us from taking even just like you say, kind of the simple steps, Mm -hmm. um, you know, right now. So, um, but you've you've just moved back from Chicago, right, to California. It, was that was that a similar decision making process, or is it, or you know, are you starting to, you know, like how do you how do you keep moving ahead towards figuring out what the future is? Is yeah, it just you know step by step? Yeah, big question. I think it's really, um, I mean, it's so complicated, but it's so. I think I, the the answer to this question, I think, is wrapped up in kind of a theme that I feel like I've been living this year of kind of both extremes or mm-hmm. at least two extremes happening simultaneously. And so just to explain that, I think the answer to your question is, yes, it's about the simple steps in front, but I also think it's about simultaneously seeing what what that vision, that big vision is that you have out in front. So they are, one of our coaches actually used to call it a uh, double vision. And so he'd say, men, the way that you think about your football job is you need to have one eye in the telescope and one eye in a microscope. You need to have, you know, such clarity on the things that need to be taking place at a detail level. But you also can never let your vision slip from where you hope to get to. And so for me, what that looks like is, um, you know, I fundamentally believe that no one really knows where they're going, but one way to know where you want one way to figure out where you want to go is to figure out who you are. And so it's, yeah. it's not as much about, you know, I hope to do this one day or hope to do that as much as I feel like in myself, I would like to be more X or I would like to, to experience more of this, or I would like to learn how to be more that. And so the more that you live into those things, the experiences will spring up and the opportunities more importantly will spring up. And so to answer your question, I think that I spent those unknown days and those unknown months uh, really just working on myself and figuring out, okay, how can I be the most me? And it's just amazing how many ideas and how many people that you'll meet and opportunities and extensions of that will just drag you, really like drag you around to different places. I feel like my the essence of who I am is pulling me around to where I'm going to go. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it, it it absolutely does. One hundred. I mean, in the in the coaching work that I do with people, I'm I'm, you know, my my starting point almost always is, you know, what are the what are the values that that define who you are? Yeah. You know, like absolutely. who who are you really? Mm-hmm. And then that gives you the opportunity to talk about. Um, you know, I think we get a little confused and I think it's a little bit of a Western culture scenario, but we do have this obsession with kind of goals, you yeah. know, the things we want to tick off the list. Sure. But really, you know, I'm uh, the thing I'm really interested in for people. And it sounds like you've, you know, it sounds to me like you you are so in the groove of this is the outcome, right? Yeah. If what does, if you are fully yourself 
and fully alive and living into that, you know, what does that look like? What does that look like as an outcome, you know, as opposed to a goal of, you know, say a particular career or a particular paycheck or, you know, whatever those things are. Um, I love how you say, I love how you said, you know, that you felt like you were kind of being being guided around or pushed around, dragged around, yeah. you know, to, to to find more and more of yourself. Was that like, you know, is that like an intuitive process for you, um, or is it, you know, do you, how, how do you, yeah, how do you how do you respond to to the the dragging? Is it just that yeah. you notice <laughs> things and therefore say, okay, I'll go in that direction? Uh, I mean, again, it's, I think I feel like there are so many answers that, uh, you know, I, I don't have full clarity on. I think one of my main interests now is, uh, like studying what they call like gut feelings, intuition, those types of things, because I think there's so much there. For example, you know, when you hear Christian people talk about God lives in their heart, mm-hmm. at the same time, you see so many Christian people living lives of obligation, not living right. from their heart. You know, so it's like, mm-hmm. I feel like if if I'm going to consider myself a deeply spiritual man, and I believe that God lives in my heart, then in many in every situation, I need to at least consider first what my heart is telling me. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the the hard part of that though is like what Simon Sinek says in his book about why start with why is that all the things about those intuitions and feelings are in the nonverbal part of our consciousness. Yeah. So, you know, trying to put words to things that are deeper in many ways and more and even more expressive probably than words are, but trying to rack, pull those things around to be able to act on them. I think it's a really a deeply spiritual process. I think that it's a process of curiosity. I mean, you have to be willing to try things. Um, you know, you have to be willing to be wrong with what you're sensing because I think that that will help you sharpen the voice. Uh, so whatever voice that you think that that is, if you don't ever test it, how can you ever trust it? Uh, you know, <laughs> so I mean? true. So that's, yeah. that's really where we are because I think that you know we 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 choose to view life from a, a viewpoint of possibility. You know, we don't. Anytime that we start to feel restricted or boxed in, we always will try to come back and realize like there's a difference between being boxed in and being structured. And I think that people when they hear the word structure, they feel like this tension of oh I can't go here, can't go there. But structure to me it just means support. You know, supporting the things that I would un- I want to live out. I don't yeah, want ever want yeah. to be in a box, but give me all the structure you can because I want to make sure that the things that I'm dreaming of actually can happen realistically. You know. Mm. Yeah, I think about that. Um, uh, I've got I've got a little saying I use, which is the uses the same words like structure, good structure, support spontaneity because it's like the skeleton, and you you know yeah. you, your body can move around it, and it's the same with functionality and form. Like if my uh, so I've 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 been on a long and very slow journey. Sure. I need to say slow journey <laughs> to become to to being a runner. Okay. And one of the things that's so um, having I I did boxing for years and years. And one of the things that's so interesting about the function of the body is how when you when you move kind of from one from one sport or from one physical practice to another, um, your body responds in different ways. Yeah. And so for me, like like learning the function of this just will sound ridiculous, but learning the function of my, of my hips and my legs in a different form than what I had before um, has been really hard work. Mm. But 
but getting that functionality down, doing some, you know, doing some physio work to make sure that I'm doing all that stuff, you know, that it, that everything's working as it needs to be, yeah. has then allowed me to improve my form. Like I've 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 increased my capacity, but I've also improved my form. I've improved the way that I run as a result of kind of having that focus on on functionality. And I, yeah, I, I think it, I I completely agree. Um, we we do sometimes have like an inside out way of thinking mm-hmm. about things like structure and and you know perhaps even the disciplines or the practices that enable us to explore freely. The um the analogy the other analogy that comes to mind is um you know how do you <laughs> on a on a on a giant sheep farm in the middle of in the middle of wherever you know how do you how do you keep the sheep contained? Do you build a fence um, and you know, a wise farmer says, no, you don't build a fence. You just, you, you, you dig a deep well because, you know, the sheep will, sheep will gather to where the water is. You know, and I think that's kind of, it's that same principle, right? Of if you figure out the centering, figure out the centering place and then you can explore endless boundaries from that place. Yeah, that's good. It's really good. So, so what are the, what are the places that you are exploring now? I mean, you, you know, with, with three years on from, um, we're three years on. Do you have? Um, and on one, on one sense, it's it's awful to say, "Hey, you need to answer this question about what you're going to be when you grow up." <laughs> right. um, that's yeah. that's not that's, that's not my intention. Yeah. But I'm more interested in you know what are the what are the places that that you that you've explored and that you are exploring, mm-hmm. um, you know, for for this kind of next right. phase of life. Yeah, I love it. So one of the biggest phases that's in front of us is. You know, like I said, our kids are four, three, two, and eight months right now. And so big thing in front of us is how are we going to educate these kids? And, um, you know, through a lot of discussions, a lot of just shared sentiments, uh, my wife and I are 99.9% sure that we want to homeschool. And so, you know, something that, you know, is really occupying a lot of our, our time and a lot of our imagination right now is just, you know, what do we want our quote unquote school culture to feel like? And I even don't, I even want to change the name of homeschool because just to what that brings to my mind, you know, that just sounds like <laughs> books on the kitchen table instead of at school, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I would dream of a scenario where our children grow up and they're, you know, learning and so excited about exploring and figuring things out and passionate about, you know, defending their ideas in an environment where they don't even actually realize that they're learning those things. You know, they just are, mm-hmm. we're, we're able to create like experiences and environment for them where they are just soaking up a way of being that will serve them into their adulthood more than segmenting, you know, this is, this is the time of day we're going to do this. And this is the time of day we're going to do that. And then after that, that's not the fun stuff, you know? So I, I we really want to form this like holistic understanding of, um, just like habits, I guess, that are going to serve them as adults. So, you know, again, specifics, not really sure yet, but I know that if we can start with that again, like that telescope idea, um, I think as we get closer, you know, next year when we start kindergarten, I believe that a lot of the, the details of what we need to start with and where we need to focus will, will probably present themselves. So you're going to be teacher dad, huh? Mr. D- teacher dad for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> We'll see. That's, I mean, yeah, but like I said, you know, we're we definitely are want to do it, but again, we're not afraid to abandon it or edit it or pivot from it if 
it's not getting us to where we thought it could, you know? So I think that's a part of, of transformation too, is, you know, this flexibility of, it's, it's really experimentation. You know, you're, you know, test, sure testing out that voice. And if it's not yielding exactly what you wanted, well then switch it up, uh, you know? So. Do you think that you have uh, learned, you know, do you think you've learned uh, how to recognize that, that internal voice, you know, now, more than you did before? I think that yes. And I think that now, because I don't have very many external voices, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that it makes it so much more imperative, you know? So, and I also think looking back, I can remember times when I heard that internal voice and, you know, I either didn't listen to it or didn't respond as quickly as I could have because I wasn't just in that rhythm, you know, but now, we're essentially, you know, we're essentially self-guided missiles. You know, we, we can do and go and, and do whatever we want. And that, I don't say that just because people say, Oh, you know, he's an NFL player. Of course they can do whatever they want. Anybody <laughs> can choose what they want to do. Right. Yeah. You know, it's not, a- and we limit ourselves, right? Because we, we, that in that same way, um, I I uh, I love the idea of taking apart the industrialization of of the education process, right? Mm-hmm. That idea of that you know, I love the idea that that we can encourage our, our children and ourselves to be lifelong learners and lifelong players, you know, to play yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, uh, but I think we we do wrestle, you know, if we think about the time that we allow ourselves to actually say, yeah, I'm in charge of the trajectory here. I am designing my trajectory. We limit ourselves to this tiny little window because we wake up in the morning and, you know, maybe we wake up early in the morning and we say, okay, my, my trainer is the boss of me for the next hour. Yeah. And then, and then we go to school, uh, we go to school or we go to work and, and it's either our, you know, our professors or our bosses, right. uh, the people who are telling us what to do. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we've got family obligations or we've got relationships where, you know, we let other people kind of, you know, have, you know, sometimes more than their fair say um, around who we need to be. And then we give ourselves this tiny little window and what do we do with it? So much of the time we just go, oh, well, that's, that's my me time. Mm. And, and we, we, it's not a waste, but we spend that time on like hobbies and playtime. Sure. Trying to just as try opposed to, to ourselves. Totally, right? Just trying to be like, okay, how do I refuel to prepare myself to fit into everybody else's boxes that's for good. the next seven days? Well, I think, you know, that really... To me, it makes me think of, like we talked about earlier, about being, growing into who you're supposed to be. Or not who you're supposed to be. I don't mean it that way. Like you're getting molded into somebody. But just being who you feel like you want to become. Because obligations are going to be upon all of us. Mm-hmm. But of course, we can choose the role that we play in that in that role. You know. So what I mean, for example, I just got out of playing middle linebacker in the National Football League. You know, when people meet me, they automatically are like, oh, well, first of all, they say, oh, you're pretty small. (laughs) (laughs) After they say you're pretty small, they go, oh, you know, you must be pretty tough or, you know, you must be, you know, you had to be really mean out there on the, on the field. And I mean, I guess those things can be true, but you know, the types of, the type of person that I was as a middle linebacker is literally the same type of person I am as a father to infants and toddlers. And so I'm able to use the same skills because I didn't play middle linebacker the way that the mystique is built up around it or the way that I felt like, you know, 
these people say it should be done. It was just, I was being me in that role. I was being, you know, calm and collected and letting everybody understand. I was explaining clearly. I was learning. This is a big process of learning, learning not to get flustered when Mm -hmm. distractions and chaos was going on around me. I was learning to deal with people who don't listen all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Now as a father, you know, every day when I wake up, I feel like I'm fully prepared because of the last, you know, 15 years or whatever that I played football because uh, now I'm calm in the chaos. You know, I have to guide people that are not taking direction instantly for, for whatever reason, you know, I have to express where we're headed over and over and over again. And I have to let people know what are we trying to do right now? You know? And so that's exactly the role that I've been, been playing. I just don't have to hit anybody now. Uh, Shoulder pads, you know. (laughs) Which is probably a little. It's probably a little kinder on the body. It's better for me, yes, for sure. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, Did you um, did you find uh, did you find that there was a large community shift for you um, when you when you stopped playing football? Um, You know, the uh, the idea I've always had of teams, um, at least high functioning and well performing teams. Um, is that is that they are they're, they're tight communities, and whilst the relationships might be professional, um, you know you spend a lot of time in that culture and in that in that community. Did you you know what was the shift out of that like yeah. for you? And especially like you know becoming in some respects you know kind of like a, a stay at home dad, right. um, which is both you know it's it's increasingly common, but it's still relatively outside of the norm, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I think um, it was not as, it, it wasn't this drastic shift of, you know, groups and people that we hang out with because quite honestly, my wife and I have always just been friends with whoever's around us. And so, you know, by nature of work, the way that football works is there's so many guys that are going in and out and, you know, we're coworkers for sure, but we're definitely friends, but there's, you know, people are getting traded every other week or people are getting cut and you know, from year to year, the whole team looks different. So there are a handful of guys that I'm keeping contact with on a regular basis. And I would say, you know, they know quite a bit about me and my personal life and likewise. Uh, but in general, I think our friend group pretty much just revolves around where where we are, our neighbors, you know, our our kids, cl- you know, classmates, parents, or, or whatever it may be, fellow dog owners, you know. <laughs> Uh, so that has that's been a shift that I've been thankful has not been super drastic. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think I mean you know that that question of how you know when things when things change, big things and little things, you know. But when they change and change so consistently over a period of time, as we you know are trying to figure our way you know to the path or figure out the next step on the path, you know, I just think you know the communities that we have around us. Um, they matter. They really, it it matters to have people to journey and to, um, you know, and to reflect, to reflect ourselves back to ourselves. Cause it's, you know, on one hand, we're talking about needing to, needing to learn our own voices more, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, you know, a huge part of that is, is the valuable reflection that others give us when they're, you know, when they're trustworthy and and when they know us. Yeah. Yeah. To that point, I will, I will for sure say, despite all the kind of bouncing around that we've done and in and out of communities, you know, we have both selected people that, you know, no matter where I am, you know, I'm going to talk to you once a week, Uh, you know, no matter how far away we live from each other. Okay. If we live across the country, then we're going to get together twice a year. If we live in the same town then we're going to get together once a month, 
you know. So I think that those are those are the uh, decisions that need to be intentional, as far as just knowing what you need um, to make sure that you stay in whatever groove that you're trying to be in. You know, uh, that for sure that's been a huge deal for for me personally. Yeah, the um, I guess there's one there's just one thing I'd love to talk about before we wrap up, which is, you know, what are the a few years now reflecting on, and obviously, you know, as we've talked about, the the likely trajectory for your life and that of um, your wife and your kids is, you know, is probably likely to be constant evolving as mm-hmm. you continue to kind of, you know, take the next step with one eye on the telescope view. Um, but, you know, are there, are, there, are there insights or are there insights or are there particular um, lessons that you think, yeah, that's something that you would, that's something that you would hold on to from, you know, your experience of of having such a, you know, having such a change um, that you would that you would sort of hold on to as being significant and things that you would share with others. Absolutely, um, I think that right now, I mean, there's so many things. First of all, but if I was to highlight a few, I think a big thing for me and for my family right now is the urgency. But at the same time, the patience, again, with this extreme uh, kind of metaphor that's been going on in my mind is, I'll give you an example. So I'm, I'm mad enough to admit sometimes I do adult coloring books. Okay. No big deal. <laughs> and so, no, it's no big deal. Right. We, celebrate, we celebrate it right. and we applaud you. Here we go. So I get up in the morning sometimes if I'm not you know, reading or journaling or whatever, I'll just take a coloring book. And there's one particular adult coloring book that I have where it's got, um, you know, the golden, the golden ratio. So the, mm-hmm. all these like architectural drawings that you, you're supposed to fill in with color. And so it has these beautiful, you know, like Nautilus curves and all these types of things. And so I'm tracing, you know, one of these you know, pretty long curves with a, just a marker. And in my mind, I'm just, you know, trying to stay with my marker as close to that line and that curve, that constant curve as I can. And I realize my goal in mind was to to follow exactly along the curve on the page. That was my telescope view, if you will. But my microscope view wasn't working too well because I wasn't really paying attention to exactly where the pen was at each given point of that line. You know, I was just kind of tracing it and thinking about other stuff or, you know, I wasn't focusing on exact moment, that exact moment as the mm-hmm. pen was tracing along that paper. And so it occurred to me that, you know, that our big picture has a much greater chance of being realized when we're actually fully immersed in each and every single moment. You know, I think that in our minds, when we think about, you know, being present is at odds with being future minded or with thinking about what's going to happen later, when actually everything that you focus on in the present is directly related to what is going to happen or how you're going to respond to what's going to happen. So in the middle of this drawing, I'm doing this, you know, this curve and it's a big long thing that goes around the whole page. And I tried a different way of looking at my strokes. I tried to just see, you know, when you think about geometry, every line is just a succession of points, right? Individual. Mm-hmm. So I tried to yeah. think about every single point. If I could just follow and make every next point with my marker, 
And then I didn't look any further down the line. I didn't look around the page. I just, every next point, I just wanted my marker to be on that next point. I did that for a couple of minutes. I looked up and there was a drastic difference between the section when I focused on every single point versus when I was just trying to make a nice curve mm-hmm. in theory. Does that make sense? And so, yeah, it does. You know, there's just, for me, there's this, this really highlighted, um, uh, uh, emphasis right now on what does it look like to be so involved in every moment and and seeing how that is completely and utterly linked, indispensably linked to how your bigger picture ends up. You know, I, I don't I don't want people to think that you know you can somehow get to where you're trying to get to if you're ignoring what's happening right now. Or if you're minimizing what's happening right now, as if it doesn't really have an impact on what's going to take place later or what unfolds later. Um, so that's a huge thing um, is for me is just, you know, the future is just to me a quick successions of right now. You know, it's just like the, the future is being built action by action. And so that's a huge thing. I think another thing that we've been confronted with here is just at my transition, the power of choice. I think people spend a crazy amount of time disproportionate wishing that they could control the things that are completely out of their control Mm -hmm. uh, and absolutely ignoring or excusing the fact that they're not exercising all the areas where they have total authority. Yeah. uh, 100%. Yeah. And so that, you know, that is a huge thing that we are constantly battling with. I think that in terms of resources, you know, thinking about resources, you know, again, I said that we can do anything that we want to, but not unlike anybody else. And I mean that because everybody's given resources. Money and time are two of the biggest ones people talk about. But I think too often people are willing to hold money above time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to a friend who was you know, complaining about someone that didn't want to go to the counseling because it cost too much money. And it's like, okay, but... <laughs> How much time are you wasting having these types of issues in your life when you could just make some monetary sacrifices and then win back all these joyful, this joyful time and trade it for miserable time? You know, so I think just that those moments when we slip out of understanding what's actually valuable and what actually is meaningful. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's so much I could go on and on. Those <laughs> are probably my biggest ones right now. Well, I think I think that the value is in um, in hopefully continuing this conversation in the uh, in the months and years to come, so that as those insights you know emerge, that we can c- like continue to capture them for a broader audience, you know, and, and and share that experience. Thank you so much for um for sharing your time and your story, and um you know I can't I I cannot say enough how much I appreciate. Um, the the beauty of your mind and the way that it that it works. I'm going to start sounding like a fangirl, but you know, really, it, you know, I am. I'm such a fan of of the way that your mind works and the beautiful way you have of expressing it. And I'm so glad that 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 concussion didn't rob you of of anything else, because you know, I know that you know, increasingly people are starting to talk about you know the the risk of that. Absolutely. Um, the risk of that physical harm and and the risk as well of what can happen to to professional athletes to to um you know to to really really elite athletes when they when they step out of that career and so you know i i just i 
I'm I'm so grateful for for what I think has just been a, a beautiful play. If I could if I could use such I a like reference, it. yeah. Oh, thank you. Seriously, it's been. I mean, just this type of conversation is so helpful for me because you know, most of these thoughts just bounce around in my head, and so you know to have a chance to kind of express some of these things and at least validate that they make a little bit of sense helps me out too. So. <laughs> they, they make a lot of sense. I wish, I wish I could transpose the thinking into dozens of people. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transformationist. We hope that the journey doesn't stop here. For more information about this episode and materials we referenced, please visit thetransformationist.org or join the Facebook group for more conversation about this week's episode. Just search for The Transformationist by Tash McGill on Facebook. This episode was written and produced by Tash McGill with production support from Truthwork Media and music is by Hans Van Vliet. The Transformationist is brought to you by Solar Feeder Consulting and TashMcGill.com.